Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which which our community community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to to expand expand in faith, faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because because they they anchor us in something something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us. Everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Hey, y'all. If you would please stand as you're willing or able for the reading of the gospel. Ivor, hi. You want to be with me? Awesome. We're reading Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand and gives it light and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Ivor. You guys are great. Great job. All right, we, uh, we're in the season of Epiphany still. Uh, this is the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany. And um, during Epiphany, we learn what it means to move as a process from darkness to light. And um, even the word Epiphany sort of sounds like this aha moment, right? Where everything goes from foggy to clear in a moment. But we're sort of using these last four weeks, this is the fourth week, as a way to look at like, if there was a process for moving from darkness to light, what would that look like? Especially as it relates to faith reconstruction. I've said this before, so many of us in this room uh, are barely here in terms of like church because there's been so much um, disillusionment about what church is. Maybe you've been in a church that's been extremely uh, abusive or, um, or you just had questions that weren't allowed to be asked or a pain has happened in your life, a death or an illness or a loss of some kind that has made you say, whoa, the answers that I have always been satisfied with now no longer are satisfying. So what do I do, right? Like, what do I anchor myself in now? 
and it can be a very disillusioning and hard time. And so over these last four weeks, we've used four words to sort of walk through if there was a cycle of reconstructing a way to stand in something solid again, how does that start? And what do you need to do? And so we've said it starts with a disruption, an unexpected thing which happens uh, that you want to run from. You would never order that up, right? You would never say, yes, bring me a disruption in my life. Have my house burned down. I want that to happen because I want to grow. But when you sit with it long enough, it can lead to an invitation. That's been our second word. What's the invitation that God has for you into a new beginning? where it's like, okay, I can either resist the disruption or I can accept it. And accepting it is saying, what, how can I move into this, lean into this, and even, even grow from it? And then the third uh, movement or stage of the cycle is what we called education. Last week, we looked at the Beatitudes. And um, if you want to move into a new understanding of God that can anchor you in this new season post-disruption, you actually have to sit in something long enough to learn a new way of seeing God, of seeing each other, of seeing the world. Uh, and when you do that, then you start to build a, a firm foundation again. Picture like an earthquake where the foundation cracks. You've you got to go all the way down to the foundation. You've got to relay it so that it can house what you now think and believe. So the fourth movement today, we're going to look at the word integration. And um, I think the movements of Jesus during these last four weeks have been fascinating, too, because his own disruption was 40 days in the wilderness of fasting. And then he finds out that John the Baptist, his friend, was arrested. And then he moves to Galilee, so major disruption in his life. And then he calls disciples to be with him. And it's a disruption for them. They have to leave their jobs as, as fisher people, fishermen. And then they receive the invitation to follow Jesus. They get the education up on the mountain, and we're still up on the mountain of the Beatitudes. And so uh, integration, he says this, and Katie just read this a few minutes ago, that you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? You're the light of the world, so let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So uh, in the first century... I'll play question. Maybe some of you know. What was salt used for in the first century? Any guesses? Any thoughts? Preservation, Preservation right? So there's no refrigerators. So if you want to preserve some meat, you rub some salt in it, and it preserves it. Uh, you know, it becomes dry, and, and you can, you know, it's like jerky, right? Uh, it was also used as, so they, many people use dried dung, kids, dung, uh, fun word, uh, as fuel. And so you would sprinkle salt on it, and it would burn more easily, right? So fun. It was also, also used as flavor for food. It still was used for that back then. And so Jesus says, um, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, it's worthless. Might as well trample underfoot. And right, so what do you, what do you think right away when you hear that? What's your first thought? Ooh, there's different flavors. Thanks, Joan. I like that. If, a, if salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing. Trample it. Might as well just step on it. 
<laughs> okay, so here's a question from Shannon. Where's the redemption in that fun little anecdote? <laughs> okay, anyone else? Because I just talked to someone earlier this morning that said, you know, this is one of my least favorite passages in all of the scriptures, right? And Jesus says it. So, he's, like, you can't say, well, you know, whatever. It was all the, you know, oh, my gosh, Jesus said it. Okay, so trauma, all right? Uh, here we go. Uh, any, any, other, any other thoughts, questions, comments about salt and saltiness? How does salt possibly Yeah. All right, thanks, Matt Flansberg. Uh, and I heard a yeah from Michelle. Yes. How can salt lose its saltiness? Well, uh, sodium chloride, any chemists in the room, NaCl, is a, comp- is a very stable compound. The reality is it cannot lose its saltiness. So Jesus lied. <laughs> and some of you are experiencing a disruption right now. <laughs> What? Jesus was being quirky and hyperbolic and, uh, and sort of rascally. Sometimes we think of Jesus always as, I don't know what, sometimes I can think of Jesus as just this very wise sage teacher, stone face, delivering these, you know, mind bomb after mind bomb after mind bomb. And oh my gosh. But have you ever thought about him as kind of a rascally character, you know, kind of like wink, nod, ah, you know, like, like throwing out a line to see if he can really reel people in or go like, what? Um, and I think, I, I think you have to see him a little bit like that, or at least I do. Um, and so, but he, he was comparing his disciples to salt, so even if he was being rascally, and even if it's not true that salt can actually lose its saltiness, he was comparing them to salt. And if you, my followers, lose your flavor, then you're kind of you're useless. Now, what do you think he's saying? By that? Yeah, Jackson. He's quirky, they're quirky. He's telling them to stay quirky. I love it. We might have a title for the sermon. I always title sermons after the sermon because you never really know what's going to happen in this room. So I title them afterwards. Scott. Literal interpretations, the lowest form of understanding. I would wholeheartedly agree with that. Ah, keep going. All right, Scott said, you know, the, the whole, the, the, the quirkiness is a red herring. Like, you can get lost on, well, does it consult, lose the saltiness? Or you can say, no, obviously it doesn't, but you, you have a gift that God has given you. It, it is there. The choice is yours to use it or not. I like that. Um, I think, too, um, so, okay, question, all play. What are the, like, 
okay, what are the characteristics of salt? Salty. Granular. Crystalline, yeah. So I, I, we, we probably wouldn't have a lot of different definitions of what salt is. But if, and let me just ask you, what are the characteristics, characteristics of a Christian? Go. Imperfect. Thank you, Karis. Holly, you were saying something. No? Crusty. 100%. Can I get an amen? What else? Characteristics of a Christian. Resistant to change. Thanks, JC. Love. Thanks, Katie. Was it Kelsey or Katie? Katie, okay. Ooh, we are elementally God. Genesis 126, if you need a reference for that one. Or 27. So go. <sighs> Trying to do good. I think if we spent time with this question, we'd probably come up with a lot of different answers. What your characteristics of a Christian are, Right? But I think Jesus had a thought about what would the characteristics of people who followed him would be. And that it wouldn't be so wildly diverse. That it would be pretty narrow, I think, and somewhat focused. That there really would be common characteristics of these imperfect people, but that spent time following this rabbi named Jesus. So uh, rabbis in the first century and before and now they would invite people to learn to keep Torah, okay? They would take the yoke of Torah. Torah is the first five books, but it's also sort of understanding that, you know, uh, this is the law. Like when Jesus talks about the law and the prophets, this, this is the law, the Torah. And rabbis with authority uh, would also begin developing new interpretations of Torah, Okay? And that interpretation that they would begin to make would be called their yoke. So rabbis would have a particular yoke, a particular way of teaching, a particular interpretation of Torah that would allow people to continue to learn over time as culture changes and time changes. See what I'm getting at? So Jesus had a yoke as well. And Talmudim, followers, disciples of Jesus, would be trying to take on his yoke, his interpretation, his way of looking at scripture and life. So uh, do you remember, um, so Terry just read Isaiah 58, and if you, you, can, you can see it. Um, the word yoke is mentioned three or four times in there, and at one time it says, if you would take the yoke from among, if you would remove the yoke from among you, then you would be free, essentially. So Isaiah 58, even way back then, is assuming that there is a way of interpreting Torah that is not freeing, but oppressive. Okay? So there are one Torah, many yokes. Does that make sense? Many interpretations. All play question. What is the yoke of Jesus like? Okay, thank you, Allie. It's easy. How do you know that that is a true statement? 
Because Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, remember Isaiah 58, remove the yoke from among you. Why would you, why would Isaiah 58 call people to remove the yoke from among you? And why would Jesus compare and contrast his yoke um, with a different yoke? Oh, that's not a very good question. Let me, let me ask it again. What is Jesus saying about the yoke of the Pharisees? And it's burdensome. It's heavy. There are how many laws that you had to follow? 613 or something? Come on, seminary. Dan, how many laws in mitzvah? 613. And there was ways to know. Now, we, we like that. Like, part of it, we like certainty, don't we? So, like, I can't really follow all 613, but if there's a hope that I can, there's a part of me that just wants to. I want to know I'm in. And if I do all 613, I'm in. The problem with that is that there are so many people who aren't in. And so, Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But has anyone ever heard, like, heard those words from Jesus and kind of thought, you know, it's funny because it doesn't really seem light. <laughs> you know, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, be salty. So in what way is his burden light? And in what way would you really find rest for your souls if you encountered Jesus? As you're thinking, let me read to you a couple, just a couple of stories. So we're in the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know if you knew that or not, but we're only in chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount goes through chapter 7. So it's like sermons have been preached about this for thousands, well, a couple thousand years, of course, but like so many sermon series, so many. Some people spend years and years and years on the Sermon on the Mount, and we finally get done with it, right? I had the question in my mind this week as I was studying, like, what's the very next thing that happens after the sermon's done, you know? So we, we can assume, it's not in here, but we can assume midrash and everything, that Jesus takes a nap, because all good preachers take a nap after their sermons. And this is a long one, so, so he takes a nap, not in there, but it's, it's in the white space. Um, when Jesus had come down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Here we go. This is Matthew chapter 8. And there was a leper who came to him, knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. So Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I do choose, be made clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. In what way is his burden light? Well, think about the alternative Jesus could have said. Hey, you know, I'm, will you heal me? Um, Jesus could have said, well, I mean, I, 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 let's take a look at those 613 laws. Let's just go through them one by one. I mean, he, he could have answered that way. Or he could have said, well, have you accepted me into your heart? Whoops. Can you say that? 
Instead, he said, and remember the leper said, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. Jesus said, I do choose to be made clean. Now to me, that's a light burden. There's no burden. That's just, you are accepted, and I love you, and I want to heal you. I mean, that's good news. And just pause. Like, I know some of us get lost with like, well, why hasn't Jesus healed me? I, I get that. And that's such a great question. Oh my goodness. Oof, oof, oof. But I want to invite you, that could be a disruption, like into an invitation. In what way is Jesus loving you and healing you even if it's in a different way than you thought. And I know that's such a hard thing to even grasp or handle, but let that be an invitation. And then there's another story. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion, Roman centurion, came to him saying, my servant is lying home paralyzed in terrible distress. And Jesus said, I will come and cure him. Now, what do we know about a Roman centurion? That he is not a... Probably not a nice person, exactly. He's, the, he's in charge of, you know, soldiers. What do soldiers do to Jesus and Jesus' people? Say it again. Yeah, they persecute him. So Roman centurion, for sure not Jewish, also persecutes Jesus and Jesus' followers, comes up to Jesus. Why would he do that? Say it again. He's desperate. Now that, I think, is the word that unlocks everything you need to know about Jesus. If you are desperate and you know it, there is no qualifications you need to have for Jesus to meet you. That's, that's our statement about the Eucharist. That's why we all love it so much. For desperate people who have like nothing to lose and everything to gain, Jesus is there for you. So he heals the centurion's servant. Um, then he enters Peter's house. He saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. Um, by the way, that means Peter was married, right? Have you ever, you ever thought that? Because like, I think sometimes you think of the disciples as just 17-year-old kids who are just, you know, like they pick up their skateboard and they follow Jesus, you know? But Peter had a wife. Have you ever thought, of, you know, Peter, the character of Peter, like, he had a wife. That wife was probably a really patient person. Who knows? Anyway, healed many people, many people, many people. And then we read in verse 17 of chapter 8, and all this healing, this was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. The yoke of Jesus is light because he bears the burdens. Amen? So the end of this portion, scripture portion, says, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've, I've not come to abolish, but to fulfill. So of course, the accusation against Jesus and his new interpretations, because he was always saying, you've heard it said this, and he's quoting scripture, but I tell you this, and then he 
like appears to contradict scripture. So of course the, the religious leaders of the day are saying, you're, you're abolishing the law. So you should be excommunicated. And he says straight out, I haven't not come to abolish it. I come to fulfill it. The word abolish means to dissolve. It's a Greek word, kataleo, and it means to dissolve what has been brought together. I've not come to dissolve the law or the prophets. I've come to fulfill. And the word fulfill means to fill up to the full, to cause it to overflow and abound. And so... In a sense, Jesus is saying, what I do with the law and the prophets, which can become so burdensome when they get into the hands of the wrong kinds of leaders, when I get into these words, I make them come to life and fulfill. I make them fill to overflowing with who I am. And it's fascinating that, you know, Jesus really is the word of God. We know this, right? This is just theology 101. When you say the word of God, the Bible is the written word of God, but Jesus is the incarnate word of God. And so that's why Jesus can be over and above scripture. True. Um, but he hasn't come to abolish any, anything. He's come to make it have the meaning that it needed to have always. And that sounds like a life of integration to me. A life that's full to overflowing. A life that reflexively begins to um, be gentle and humble in heart with people. I have a friend that, um, gosh, two or three times a week, he'll text me, hey, was thinking about you in the middle of the night. How are you? He knows I like... Ford Broncos, 1970s Ford Broncos. Probably never owned one, but because they cost like, you know, $600,000 now, it's crazy. But he'll send me pictures and, of, you know, ones that are um, on auction. And, and every once in a while, I'll say like, oh, you got to watch this movie. And you know that obnoxious friend who says that. Well, I'm, I, I do that way too much, right? And, but then he watches them and texts me and says, oh, I love it. And um, I don't think he's thinking about being the salt of the earth or the light of the world. I think he's just being who he is because he's learned a little bit. He's 65, almost. He's learned a little bit about um, what it means to follow Jesus. Teaches me about loving and serving the poor. Invites me over to his house to share a bourbon, some food. Um, I think that's an integrated life. I think that's what being the salt of the earth is and the light of the world. Just, you don't have to think about it too much. You don't go around saying, the salt doesn't think about, am I granular enough? How's my grains? It just is. It just is. Not saying there's no discipline or intention. Of course there is. Of course there is. But when you accept the invitations to new beginnings that God brings your way, and when you sit with a new kind of thinking where you can see the world differently and see others' perspectives, and then begin to just like see that way and live that way, you shed light 
on things. You become luminous and make other things luminous. You make life be flavorful for people. You become gentle and humble in heart, like Jesus, but not because you set out, I'm going to be like Jesus. No, because you're just with Jesus. Amen. I never know how to close sermons. So I hope you, if something has stirred in you, I hope you'll take it to conversation with someone and say, oh, you know, this thing bothered me or this thing stirred my heart in a way that made me want to learn more. I hope, I hope you'll do that. I hope it won't just stay at this level of, well, I heard a good talk. You've heard plenty of good talks, you know? What if you, like, took it the next step? Maybe that'll turn into a disruption and then an imitation and then an education and maybe even the integration. Endings are a place where life is Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elon Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions, questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.